You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Emma Kirsting, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, we're going to hear from our news director, Beck Legato, as they speak with two representatives from End Abortion Stigma that was founded here in Ithaca to learn more about the organization. But first, we have Caroline Grass in Inbayini Anbarasan with Community Beat and George Christopher with this week's Politics Beat. On Thursday, the Tompkins County Health Department confirmed a new positive monkeypox case in the county, bringing the county's total to three cases. The New York State Department of Health said that a previously reported positive monkeypox case in the county was found to be a false positive, so the case total remains at three. In central New York, which includes Broome, Onondaga, St. Lawrence, and Tompkins County, there have been eight cases in total as of August 31st, according to the New York State Department of Health. A limited supply of monkeypox vaccines are now available in Tompkins County, and appointments can be made for Wednesday, September 7th and Thursday, September 8th for eligible individuals. The vaccine is a two-dose series given four weeks apart. The YMCA of Ithaca has named Christy Thornton as its new chief executive officer. Thornton will succeed Frank Towner, who retired from the YMCA in January. In her new role, Thornton will be responsible for guiding the YMCA into a season of growth by expanding partnerships and by establishing the YMCA's role as a leading nonprofit in Tompkins County. Thornton becomes just the third CEO of the Y in more than 40 years and the organization's first female CEO in its 154-year history. In a press release, Cinemopolis Executive Director Brett Broussard announced he'll be leaving the position this month and taking a job at Ithaca College as the Executive Director of Alumni and Family Engagement. Broussard served in the Cinemopolis Executive Director position for nine years and kept the independent theater running through the COVID-19 pandemic and redevelopment of the Green Street Garage. In the release, the theater said they have started the search for a new Executive Director. The Green Street Parking Garage is expected to open on Tuesday, September 6th, after being delayed by over a year. The parking garage will provide parking for the Ithaca Marriott downtown and will give Ithaca residents easy access to places like the Commons, Cinemopolis, and City Hall. Six of the seven floors of parking will be available for parking starting Tuesday, and City of Ithaca officials say monthly parking passes will be available for sale at the City Chamberlain's office starting Tuesday, September 13th. Ithaca police made an arrest on Thursday morning after a mass shooting threat was made against Cornell University the previous afternoon. Ithaca police said they arrested 28-year-old Austin Schiller of Ithaca. Police say they determined the threat was serious and arrested Schiller with no incident. Schiller was charged with making a terroristic threat, which is a Class D felony, and was arraigned in Ithaca City Court. Police say there is no further threat to students at the university. Tompkins County District Attorney Matthew Van Houten announced the indictment of two people in a connection to a string of burglaries and attempted assault. The announcement, which came out on September 1st, announced the indictment of Michael Thomas, who was indicted by a grand jury on 16 counts of third-degree burglary for burglaries around the city, including Antler Restaurant and Fall Creek House. The announcement also included the indictment of Troy Washington, who is accused of second- and third-degree criminal possession of a weapon and first-degree attempted assault. For Caroline Grass, I'm in Bayani Anbarasan. This is your weekly politics beat. I'm George Christopher. After last week's primary election, November's general election is taking shape in Tompkins County and throughout New York State. 
In Congress, Tompkins County will be voting in the newly drawn 19th Congressional District. Democrats have nominated Josh Riley, a former Senate staffer and attorney originally from Broome County. Republicans, meanwhile, nominated Mark Molinero, the Dutchess County Executive. Dutchess County is not in the 19th Congressional District. Molinero was also the Republican candidate in the 19th District special election, also held on August 23rd. That election was held under the old maps before redistricting. Under the original map, Dutchess was included in the 19th, but Tompkins wasn't. The new district stretches from Tompkins all the way to the border with Massachusetts. The new 19th voted for Joe Biden by a little under five points. However, it also voted for Molinero by a similar margin when he ran for governor in 2018. Molinero will now have to contend with a district bluer than the one he lost in the special. In the state senate, Tompkins is included in the new 52nd district, which also includes Cortland and part of Broome County. This district voted for Joe Biden by over 20 points and supported former Governor Andrew Cuomo in 2018. Democrats have nominated former Binghamton City Councilor Leo Webb, while Republicans have put up Richard David. The previous incumbent, Republican David Akshar, is instead running for Broome County Sheriff. In the State Assembly, Tompkins remains in the 125th District with part of Cortland County. This is an overwhelmingly Democratic district, with incumbent Democrat Anna Kellis running unopposed. Locally, Ithaca will have two special elections, with acting Ithaca Mayor Laura Lewis seeking to fill the final year of former Mayor Savante Myrick's unfinished term. Katie Sims, running under the Progressive Party line, is challenging Lewis along with Republican Zachary Wynn. Sims has the support of the Ithaca Democratic Socialists of America, the New York Working Families Party, and Sunrise Ithaca. Wynn will be the first Republican to mount a mayoral campaign in Ithaca since 2011. Ithaca's fourth ward will also go to the polls to select a new member of the Common Council. Democrat Tiffany Kumar is running unopposed in the general election after defeating incumbent Patrick Mailer in the June primary. Mailer had been appointed to fill the seat until a special election could be held. Kumar received support from the Solidarity Slate, a left-wing group which also supported Jorge DiFandini and Phoebe Brown's 2021 campaigns. Kumar also has the support of the DSA and the Working Families Party. At the county level, there won't be much competition, as incumbent Sheriff Derek Osborne and incumbent County Clerk Maureen Reynolds have received support from both the Democratic and Republican parties and will appear on both parties' ballot line. Reporting for Ithaca Now, I'm George Christopher. You're listening to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Emma Kirsting. And Abortion Stigma is an organization that was created to try and disprove a lot of the typical stigmas that were set in place by the patriarchy. News Director Beck Legato spoke with Caroline Cox and Sue Perlgett, two members of EAS, who spoke on what their organization is and how they continue to operate in this new political environment following Dobbs v. Jackson. On July 6th of this year, Ithaca was officially declared a sanctuary town for reproductive health care and abortions in response to the overturning of the historic Roe v. Wade. With a woman's right to an abortion left to the decision of politicians, the Ithaca Common Council created and passed a bill that would assure abortions and reproductive health care to return in the Ithaca area, labeling Ithaca a sanctuary town and assuring safe health care without the fear of any legal retribution. Multiple organizations in the local area also contributed to operate and provide support for women who needed a place to stay or talk. One of these resources calls themselves 
end abortion stigma and they are a group of people who are created to destigmatize the idea of an abortion and allow for honest conversations regarding abortions. Sue Perlgut is a filmmaker and an activist that works with end abortion stigma and helps to create films to help EAS's cause. One of her more well-known films was a profile on a local Republican politician, Connie Cook, who decriminalized abortions after passing a bill that legalized abortions in New York State. Until women have a place in the major institutions of our society, we will remain second-class citizens. That was a clip from the trailer that came out about the documentary about Connie Cook made by Sue Powerwatt. Caroline Cox, on the other hand, is one of the founding members of EAS and has worked on a wide range of issues from abortion activism to creating an environmental education fund that was lumped into a grant that would focus on mitigating damages done to the environment in the local region. This is the third part in a multi-part series to highlight the members of the Ithaca community that help provide abortion or reproductive health care, as well as the people who created the legislation to protect the reproductive rights of women. To start, um, could you guys describe in your own words what your organization is and what you guys provide for people in this area? I've been since the beginning, which was in 2015, and uh, our initial purpose was to understand and communicate the what we saw as a declining support for reproductive justice in the country but locally we saw the fact that the women who were gathered in this group we now call EAS all had had abortions before Roe v Wade and the social context of that was so different from post Roe v. Wade or, or the during Roe v. Wade. And we wanted to communicate particularly with young women to be able to say, be aware, be vigilant, take care. And you know there are forces at play now. And this is in 2015. And then this arc, of change began, you know, it was visible, it was palpable. And EAS reached out to campus groups. Um, we have done, thanks to Sue's great talents, video. She was able to also have a, an expanded audience for her film about Connie Cook, the Republican, you know, assembly member who, really laid the groundwork for Roe v. Wade by creating and leading legislation that protected abortion access. Really, reproductive justice in its firm, firmest form at the state level. And, you know, over the years, obviously, we have reached out in different ways through rallies, through our own programs that we have done, um, you know, you know, where we're inviting members of the public to come in and not only talk about their own abortion experiences, but also to learn from filmmakers, um, you know, how they're seeing it, how they're recording other people, really expanding the conversation. Okay, so now today, you know, we have seen, thanks to Dobbs versus Jackson, um, this whole change. And what does that mean about EAS? We are even more 
committed to not only sharing the stories of, you know, pre Roe v. Wade is now back with us. And what does that mean? And in many ways, it means that, you know, how do we help as, you know, allies of Planned Parenthood? And how do we communicate about those forces? One of which is the um, whole movement, which is international, but it's, you know, very visible in the United States as the CPCs, the CPCs are crisis pregnancy centers and provide counseling services for women seeking abortions to sway them away from seeking an abortion out. Caroline continued to talk about the issues in CPCs, in her opinion. But the CPCs, which, you know, they're built on half-truths and sometimes full lies um, about the impact of abortion. Yet they borrowed the language of Planned Parenthood, that this is your body, that this is to help yourself and you know, fulfill your future. And yet they will say things like an abortion will give you cancer, an abortion will give you depression, an abortion will fill in the blank. And there's no scientific truth underneath it. And um, Ithaca has two CPCs, one on uh, Green Street, and the other one, which is called Birthright, Ithaca, Birthright of Ithaca, I think it is, and it's on Spencer Road. And um, their, their messages are benign, seemingly benign, and yet their invitations to come in for essentially support and counseling, and everyone needs that. Um, but then what happens is there's a, a conversion, you know, they want not to encourage abortion, but rather to convert the person or strengthen that person as a practicing Christian. Now, if that person is pulled that way, fine. But it's that the full story needs to be told. And so we see that as one strong issue that we need to support. So that's the second thing. The first was supporting Planned Parenthood through its escort program, through, you know, any other way that we can. To, you know, second is CPCs, third is continuing our stories. I must say that that's our, our effort too. And then fourthly, it's the, um, we have an election coming up in November and since 2015, we have always promoted voting and voting for candidates who are explicitly going to be for reproductive justice. And, you know, we it's not enough to just say that you believe in that. There is an action, it's called voting, and that's the important message. So that's kind of what we do and how we interact with our community. So if I could jump in here and, and just be a teeny bit more specific about the things we've done. So um, we have um, we have promoted rallies. We have spoken at rallies. Um, I've told my, uh, I had an illegal abortion in 1965, and I tell that story over and over again uh, because we need young people to understand what is at the time, what is about to come and what is now here and what it's going to be like. Um, 
we have we have very good writers in the group and we have written copious amounts of letters to the editor um, we had one taken a year ago uh, by the New York Times immediately we sent them a letter they sent us back and they said we're gonna publish this um, so we respond a lot by writing letters by um, and then we upped our game we were meeting eh, maybe once a month or something now we meet once a week we have committees broken down that are doing different things. We participate. We participated in the Cornell event on Saturday, uh, and were very welcomed by young people. Very interested in us, and our we're expanding our group. It was mostly women of our age, but now there are younger women who want to be involved. We're looking for that kind of involvement. We um, we have those once a week zooms where we talk about what's going on what kinds of things we're doing. So um, individually members are doing different things and then collectively we're doing things together. I'm, um, so I got involved, I think this could be right, this could be wrong, <laughs> but I asked, I was asked to join, I think after the film, I made a film about Connie Cook, as, as Carolyn said, she was our local assemblywoman who decriminalized abortion in New York State in 1970. Um, so I made this film about her with a with a filmmaker actually who graduated from IC, um, Nils Hoover. Nils and I made it together. So it's really an intergenerational and sort of a intergender look. You know, he had a lot of questions that I didn't have, but he did. So it's a, a really good film that way. And and so we made this film. And I think then I and after I made the film, I said, "Gee, I need to start talking about my abortion." So I started to talk about my abortion. And so through EAS, I've been telling it a lot. Um, when the pandemic hit, we stopped going into classrooms. Um, at this, we did a couple of Zooms, I think, with the PPGA at Cornell. We're, we're certainly willing and want to start doing that again. Um, but we need to change our focus a little bit. It was all about storytelling them. Well, we want to tell stories, but we want to talk about the PPCs, we want to talk about other things. So we need to refine the way we speak to classes. Um, what else can I say? Um, and then we've connected up with a couple of other groups like ours. Um, there's one in Boston called Posse, which is a group of women also who are doing storytelling and going out um, into classes, schoolrooms, universities. And then um, we have a much deeper connection to Grandmothers for Reproductive Rights, GER. Um, and uh, they are doing a lot of things. We, they're working with us, helping us do some training, helping us with some flyers. We give out, a, we have flyers with lots of good information on them that we give out when we're at rallies or tabling somewhere. Um, and uh, GER, is now doing a storytelling archive where they're going to archive stories from women from all around the country who are telling their stories about their illegal, mostly illegal, but sometimes not abortions, which I'll be editing. So um, it's, you know, we're doing a lot of things again, individually and, and as a group and we're new members are joining us, which is great. We're getting new members, new energy. Um, and we have a Facebook page. Um, I don't know. Are you aware of that? That's right. I said to you. Okay. So, um, 
I so I think that's that's kind of a little deeper about what we've done and um yeah, we're we're it's a great group. Um serious and also can laugh. Oh, and I recently so we have a couple a couple of interesting things. One woman um uh wrote a sermon uh for the Unitarian Church. And so she's going to be going around giving that other places and I'm we're gonna be taping it so she can put it out there. And um I wrote a play, uh, a reading, really, a short reading based on my abortion, another woman's abortion, and a woman who was a, a abortion counselor after uh, uh, Roe v. Wade and the differences among this. We have a short 15-minute reading, which we'll be doing uh, before we do some presentations. You're muted, for Carolyn. If I may, I'd like to offer a little bit about the genesis of EAS, because um, I always find it um, it's like a parable of communication. Um, and it says so much about the impact of stigma, which is why we use stigma in our name. And that is, it began at a birthday dinner party with you know six, seven women. And they were around the table. They'd known each other for at least 20 years. And uh, they started talking about, you know, the LBGTQ community had been effective in so many measures. And they wanted to know why, why people weren't equally effective in protecting abortion access. And uh, knowing Roe v. Wade was there, but still vulnerable. And uh, then the, because they were friends, somebody said, well, you know, I had an abortion. Went around the table and out of the six women, five had had abortions, friends of 20 years, and they didn't know that. You know, it's a, it's a shaping experience. And they had not known it. And they said, we have stories. We have stories we can tell. And maybe we can tell it in the community. And that was the beginning. And I like to tell that because I think it says so much about the impact of stigma, the impact of that culture that we came of age in, and that the moment of you know, 2015 allowed, wait a minute, we can do this. We can do this out loud and we need to do it. And so, you know, it gives you a little, I hope, context of this, you know, it it, it was just like, oh, wait a minute. There's a, a wall we can get through and it's an important wall. And this was happening in the Boston group was happening in the main group, which is where Gur is centered. Um, and you can replicate it around the country. Um, but so that's a little bit of background that might be helpful. <laughs> EAS has utilized many different mediums to deliver their message from using social media as a hub for getting the information out quickly 
to using both print and visual formats to gauge a response. I wanted to know a little more about how the audience responds to such a personal and emotional piece. And we're not always privy to it, but what we are, at least I am aware of, and certainly Sue will comment, I, I know, um, is that we hear people say, oh, and that you could hear that intellectual process, but emotional process of, oh, that's what's ahead, or more to the point, that's what's now. And understanding, for instance, if you're talking about someone whose home base is Ohio, that's now going to be a very different response than someone whose home base is New York. And yet in New York, one of the things we're promoting is the fact that while we're secure in legislation, we're not secure in our state constitution. And there are two bills that are now on the table, for example, uh, that need to get off the table and out to the electorate um, to put it in the constitution. So, I mean, there's the response of, oh, how does this impact me personally? But there's also, what do I do? And so if you ask, what do I do? After we've been talking with audiences, that's one of the things that can be very concrete. But the personal is, okay, how do I help? How do I protect myself, for instance? But how do I be more sensitive to others and how they are affected? I mean, one of our great concerns is reaching out in a, to the diverse communities, not just campus communities. And that remains an issue. That's a challenge for us. So, so, one of, so for me, having told my story, uh, I, I get personal responses. People come up to me. You know, I was in, I told my story at a rally and the next day I was in Wegmans and this woman comes up to me and she says, my son was at the rally yesterday, 15 year old son. And he was so moved by your story that he went home and he told his mother about it. And, you know, he wanted to do something, you know, um, and other young people I know have said to me, so what can we do? Okay, we can vote, but besides voting, giving money, what can we do? They want to do something, you know, they want an action. And, um, you know, it's, there are actions and then there aren't, you know, it's kind of hard to figure out what to do. I mean, there is protesting in front of the CPCs if people want to, but voting, you know, and giving money are, are good, um, being support to the people who do get abortions. So people are, there are a lot of young people out there looking to see what what they can do, how they can help. And um, it's my hope, and maybe it's just too optimistic, I don't know, uh, that, that those right-wing politicians who are trying to pass these laws and have passed these laws are going to be surprised by the amount of people who are opposed to what they're doing and how it's going to impact them. Look at Kansas. It was a shock to everyone that that Kansas ratified this. You know, everyone, even people living there. Um, and uh, so I just think there's going to be, there's going to be a backlash. I can't wait against these laws and against these right-wing 
men and women, unfortunately, who are doing this. And that's my hope. My other hope is that the young people coming up, that, that, that those generations under us are, first of all, there's more multicultural and they're more aware and they're much more interested in being political and making sure that they're, that their lives and their li lives of people around them and the world are better off. So my, I'm optimistic in that way. You know, I can, I can go deep down into <laughs> despair, but I don't watch the news. So sorry. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, so I'm trying to keep my optimistic spirit and, uh, and, and through EAS is, is one of the ways and also through grandmothers for reproductive rights. There's a lot of women, people out there who are interested in seeing us keep our rights and understand that what just happened is going to could go even deeper and even become worse in terms of what kinds of rights will be taken away next. So I just think there's going to be massive, I hope there's going to be massive, massive uh, backlash and uproar about what's going on. I join that hope. However, I also think there's another constituency that uh, if they would gather their voices would help enormously, and that is the medical community. Um, there are physicians, OBGYNs, leaving their states and impoverishing the healthcare <laughs> further in the states that are, you know, the there are now 14 states in the United States that have no abortion access. And those physicians are often taught and PAs and RNs and, you know, anyone who's medically involved. And I would think the doulas and the midwives are caught in this as well. I, I don't know specifically. But the whole point is those who actually provide the abortions are under attack. We're looking also at populations who are studying to be in healthcare. On Saturday, I talked with a person, I don't have his permission to tell his story, but a, a physician who left providing abortions in one state and is now here in Ithaca doing medical work in a different arena. Um, and he came because as he introduced himself, I am angry. You know, his life has been redefined by very strict perceptions of, you know, this, whether you're talking about the court interpretation of originalism or you're talking about the legislative rightist points of view. Um, that's, that does not bode well for our healthcare system alone. And, you know, I, I worry about those who are on margins financially. And, you know, inflation is having an enormous impact. One of those issues will be, how do I make a decision when I can't pay my bills and I have yet potentially another mouth to feed? And adoption is not always the answer. This is the first part to a two-part interview with End Abortion Stigma. Tune in next week to hear the final part of our conversation.
In the meantime, EAS hosts and helps with events in the local area and can be found on their Facebook page. For WICB News, I'm Beth Bogato. That's all for tonight's edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all our stories on WICB.org, and if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anywhere, anytime. Also, subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from Manager of Television and Radio Operations Jeremy Menard, WICB Station Manager Connor Hibbard, and Programming Director Harrison Kona. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by News Director Beck Legato with the assistance of News Managing Director Jordan Broking, News Production Director Inbaini Anbarasan, and Web Coordinator George Christopher. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dunvith of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, or just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wicb.org. We will be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday.